Good evening, family. Uh, I'm Dineo, and I'm part of the staff here. The reading today will be from Mark chapter 4, verse 35, all the way to chapter 5, verse 20. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always carrying out and cutting himself with the stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The headsmen fled and told told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of God. Well, thanks so much for that that reading. Appreciate that very much. Welcome, everybody. If you are new to our church, my name is Martin. I'm one of the ministers. As you can see, I'm the oldest minister at uh, Christ Church Madrand. It's a long weekend. It's Sunday night. I want you just to look around at the other people in the room. Just look around at the other people in, in the room here this evening. Well, like yourself... The other people in this room also couldn't afford to go away this weekend. (laughs) So we might as well stick together. We might as well stick together. There we go. It is lovely that you are here this Sunday night. It's a long weekend. And what is better than spending time with God's people, worshipping God as we've just done? Isn't that a wonderful song we've just sung? It just, um, 
it's just got such a lovely beat and we have such a wonderful music team and singers who were lifting our hearts, lifting our eyes at the Lord. And there's nothing more wonderful than doing that together and uh, giving us hope, giving us strength, giving us God's spirit as we uh, face another week and we serve God in this coming week. As you know, we've been working our way through Mark's gospel, and um, I want you to have a look at this passage. We're going to focus on that first section, chapter 4, verse uh, 35 to 41. David asked me to take it up to chapter 5, verse 20, but because I'm Umlungu Madala, he's going to be very gracious to me, and uh, I really can't do that whole section justice. So we're going to focus mainly on that section where Jesus calms the storm, that well-known section uh, where he calms the storm. Let me pray, and then we'll dig ourselves into God's word. It really will be a great help to me if you do have your Bibles open in front of you. We're going to do a little bit of Bible study as well, so we've got to turn to a couple of other passages. You may have your cell phone, your iPad, you may have a Bible, so try and stay with me. Don't go onto your social media. You think, I think that you are reading your Bible, but God knows that you are looking at social media. So, uh, There we go. Let's keep together focusing on God's word. Let me pray first that God may speak to us. Father, we do want to worship you as we have just sung that you are the great eternal sovereign God and that we are here tonight because you are the one who rescued us. You are the one who saved us. You are the one who forgave us. You are the one who's given us new life and new hope and new purpose. We thank you, Lord, that you have not forgotten us. We thank you that you have not abandoned us. Lord, we deserve your judgment. We deserve your wrath. And yet in your kindness, you sent your Son to rescue us from ourselves, to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from the judgment of God. And so we pray, Lord, that we may be reminded by these wonderful truths, that it may fill our hearts and minds tonight, so that we may commit ourselves to serving this Lord, the Savior, once again this week. Meet with us now, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. The section that we have open in front of us from, just have a look, from chapter 4, verse 35, right up to chapter 5, verse 43, the end of chapter 5, contains four miracles. And each miracle demands a response from the readers. We're going to have a look at one of them, but let me just quickly give you an overview. The first section there, verse chapter 4, 35 to 41, we see the power Jesus has over nature. He says to nature, peace be still, and it is peace, and it is still. We then see in chapter 5, verse 1 to 20, his power over evil. There is no evil that is more powerful than Jesus, and we see that in verse 7 and 8, where we read, and crying out with a loud voice, the man who is possessed by an evil spirit, A legion, a legion is 6,000 evil spirits are within this man. Can you imagine that? And Jesus, uh, verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. 
He knew that Jesus could torment him and destroy him. He has power over evil. He has power over nature. In the next section from verse 21 onwards, he has power over illness. So we read there in verse 33, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and she touches Jesus. And we read there in verse 33, but the woman knowing what had happened in her, that is that she was healed, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So there he has power over illness. And then the last section from verse 35 to the end of the chapter, he has power over death, where this young girl, 12-year-old girl, where he, uh, notice verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So after you've read these four miracles, the question obviously within your mind is, who is this? Who is this man? Is it possible that Jesus could be anything other than the Son of God. The thing, the question that binds all these four miracles together comes up in our passage in chapter 4, verse 41, where the disciples, after Jesus calms the storm, says, Who then is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Mark's gospel, you will know, really answers three questions. The author was John Mark, John Mark was probably an African, probably uh, born in Cyrene. Certainly his mother and father would have been born in Cyrene. His mother was probably Mary, and the headquarters of the early church was in her home. You can pick that up in Acts chapter 12. Her son was John Mark, and John Mark was probably the author of the Gospel of Mark. And John Mark is trying to really answer three main questions. You can read his gospel in an hour, hour and a half. Jesus had three years of ministry, and yet he condenses all that Jesus has said, said and done into these 16 chapters. And he's really trying to answer three questions. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? And how do we respond? Those are the three main questions that John Mark is answering and so he presents us with the story of Jesus, the historical story, narrative of Jesus. And he presents us with these cameos. And with these cameos, he's trying to answer these questions, who is Jesus? Why did he come? How do we respond? Our passage this evening, verse chapter 4, 35 to 41, deals mainly with the first question, who is Jesus? The identity of Jesus. But as we'll pick up, he covers the other two questions as well. Why did he come and how do we respond? The big question is, who is Jesus? Who is this man? Is it possible that he can be anything other than the Son of God? All right, we're going to look at this passage. It's a well-known passage. Just by the way, this was a very loved passage in the early church. It was a much-loved passage in the early church. Proud is uh, tired of looking at my face, so he's taken off the spotlight. Proud, well done. Uh, um, it was a well-loved passage throughout the first centuries of the church, so much so that in the catacombs, that's underground caves, 
where uh, graves were of Christians and Christian martyrs, they discovered um, they they discovered carvings of the story in some of the coffins and some of the graves. It was a much loved story, and we'll see for obvious purposes. We want to look at three things as we look at this passage: the distress of the disciples, the response of Jesus. And then the terror of the disciples. So those three things we're going to unpack. Let me just go down one side road, which uh, comes up in this passage. The bigger question in this side road is, how do we get the Bible? How is it that God is the author of the Bible, and yet we have human authors? And we're going to notice just how what Mark is writing here is an eyewitness record. And why we know that it's an eyewitness record. But it comes from a bigger question. How do we get the Bible? Why do we say that the Bible is the Word of God? And how can the Bible be the Word of God and yet have human authors? So let me take you just to one verse, 2 Peter chapter 1, which will help us to understand that. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to focus on why this is an eyewitness record in the side road. But I want you to notice how both God and human authors work together to give us the scriptures. And there's a very helpful verse here in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. Peter writes and he says, have you got it there? 2 Peter chapter 1, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. When he says prophecy of Scripture, he's really talking about all of Scripture. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So notice the partnership there. There are men who are writing. So Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. You have the, uh, the, um, the Psalms, you have Job, you have Proverbs, you have the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, so God used men, he used David writing the Psalms. He used men, but the origin, the author is God. There's an interesting phrase there and an interesting word there. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what was happening was that David was writing or Paul was writing or John was writing or John Mark was writing. They were using their minds. They were using their intellect. God was using their personality, their knowledge of vocabulary, grammar, But as they were writing, using their minds, God so breathed upon them that the very words they wrote was the word of God. And the verb being used here, they were carried along, is actually a nautical word. It's a word you would use if you were a sailor on the sea. And when you raised your your sails and the wind blew into the sails the little ship or the boat starts moving along. That's the word being used here. That men were writing, 
David was writing, John Mark was writing, and as he was writing, using his own vocabulary, his own grammar, his own personality, as he was writing, God the Holy Spirit was so breathing upon him that like a little boat being, being pushed along by the wind, the Holy Spirit was carrying him along so that what he wrote was the very word of God. So there's a partnership. The author, the source is God, but God spoke through men. And so what we have here is human writings written by Peter, by Paul, by Matthew, by John, by Luke. But God the Holy Spirit so breathed upon them supernaturally that the very words they wrote was the word of God. The very words they wrote were the words God wanted them to write. All right, let's go back to Mark chapter 4. What we have here is we have an eyewitness record. Now, how do we know that it's an eyewitness record? John Mark was probably the scribe of Peter. So Peter had been there. Peter was there right from the beginning. You remember, Jesus chose Peter. He called Peter to be his disciples right at the start. So Peter uses John Mark, who could well have been a cousin or a nephew, and John Mark is writing down what Peter is talking about. And we know that this is eyewitness records because of the kind of details that you have in this passage. So let me tell you that when it comes to fiction, uh, or let me go back. There's a great book by Richard Balcom called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. It's about 300, 400 pages long. It's a fantastic book, but he tells us that you know that a piece of writing is an eyewitness record because it includes irrelevant detail. That's a sign. That's a mark. So normal fiction, the detail is there to convey or to move along the narrative, to move along the story, or to fill out a character. That is normally what you will find in any fiction, and certainly fiction of antiquity. There's no detail which has no reason, no purpose. Balcom argues, taking us through the four Gospels, that where you have irrelevant detail, that's a sign, that's an authentic sign, or that's a sign of authenticity. Because the author is writing down what they saw. The author is writing down what happened. Whether it adds to the narrative or story or not. Whether it adds to the character or not. So it points to the authenticity. Now you find it throughout the Gospels, but there are two signs of it here in this passage, where we are told in verse, um, verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took with him, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with them. Now, why does he say other boats were with them? There's no reason. It doesn't add to the story. It adds nothing to the story except if it was true. That's what happened. And then he says there that Jesus was sleeping, and he was sleeping on a cushion. Why does he say he was sleeping on a cushion? Well, it doesn't add to the story. It's enough for him to have said that he's sleeping. No, he says he was sleeping on a cushion. That's an irrelevant detail from an eyewitness reporter. Now, I'm not saying that that's irrelevant, that it's not the Bible, that is the Bible, that is the Word of God, but it's a sign that what we have here is not made up. It's not fiction. It's not a myth. 
It's written by an eyewitness who was there, who adds details which don't necessarily add to the narrative or the character, but that's what happened. So you have them all over the Gospels, which tells us what we have here is not myth, it's not story. It's not something that has evolved over two, three hundred years. No, what we have here is eyewitness reports. It's like a journalist who writes things down. That's what happened. So what we have here is not only the word of God, but we have an eyewitness record. All right, let's have a look. Let's dig in straight away. First thing we need to notice here is the distress of the disciples. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in no, but, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Lake Galilee is up in the north of Israel. And um, it's 200 meters below sea level, sort of a basin. And quite close to Lake Galilee, about 50 kilometers away, like from here to Pretoria, is Mount Hermon, which is which is over 2,000 meters high. So you would have cool wind coming from Mount Hermon, meeting up with hot wind coming from Lake Galilee, and the consequence to this day are storms. So you have storms, massive storms, on Lake Galilee. And here is a massive storm. In fact, you'll notice verse 37 that uh, John Mark writes and says that there was a great windstorm. And the Greek word there is mega. Now we know what mega means. It's a mega thunderstorm. It's no ordinary thunderstorm. In fact, there's almost a sense here of some kind of attack on Jesus because they've gone out at night. At night, you don't normally have those storms. So there seems to be some opposition against Jesus. We've seen that already. Chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees went out plotted with the Herodians how, how to destroy him. We see that in chapter 5, verse 3, where this legion of evil spirits uh, confront Jesus. We see that in chapter 6, when uh, his cousin, uh, John the Baptist, loses his head. There's opposition against Jesus, and it's almost as if the devil is using creation itself to destroy the Messiah. There's opposition against Jesus. There's this massive storm, this mega storm. Now, obviously, they are distressed. The obvious reason is because of a mega storm. In fact, the word there, verse 38, perishing, can mean torn apart. So you have these seasoned sailors, that was their job, distressed because of a mega storm. But there's a greater cause of distress. And that's found there in, in verse... Where are we? 38, 36. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Seems as if Jesus is indifferent. 
<laughs> to their situation. They're in a storm. They're in a mega storm. They, as seasoned soldiers, are feeling we're going to drown. We're going to perish. We're going to be torn apart. And Jesus, their leader, their rabbi, their master, is nowhere to be found. In fact, he's asleep on a cushion. Disciples can't accept that he can't do anything in the midst of a storm. Surely he can do something. Surely he can pull off one of his miracles. We've seen some of his miracles. Can't he do a miracle? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I think we can sympathize with the disciples because there are times when we are in storms. Perhaps you're in a storm right now. And you wonder, where is Jesus? Why doesn't he do something? Doesn't he care? Why is this happening? Don't we sometimes ask those questions? And Jesus is nowhere to be found. He's asleep on the cushion. So we understand this. And we understand that question. And it's not wrong to ask that question. It's not wrong to talk to God and tell him that we're fearful or we're frightened or we're struggling with anxiety or stress. You find that in the Psalms where the psalmists say, How long, O Lord, how long? Where are you? Prayer, honest prayer, is talking with God. It's telling him where you are. It's being honest with him. There's nothing wrong with doing that. We need to be honest with him. He knows our thoughts anyway. It's not as if he doesn't know them. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is telling God where we are. Prayer is telling God that we wonder where he is. Have you ever told God that? That's prayer. That's honest prayer. What we'll see in just a moment is the reason why, why Jesus seemed to be silent and he seemed to be indifferent was that he wanted to demonstrate his identity. Second principle, first principle, is the distress of the disciples. What is the response of Jesus? Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and, the, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now this miracle is more than just a miracle. It's an identity marker. It's obviously more, Jesus is obviously more than just a powerful human being. It shows his identity. Who is this Jesus? Notice a couple of things. The first thing to notice is just the simplicity of the language. So there's no evidence here that he's shouting or screaming or raising up his hands. No, it's the language you would use with rowdy children. Peace be still. So to a mega hurricane, Jesus says, quiet, be still. It's extraordinary. The second thing we notice there is that the wind and the waves obey him like a compliant child. Verse 39, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Interesting, once again, it's a mega calm. It's the same word. There's a mega storm, and now we have a mega calm. In fact, there are two miracles here. The one is that the wind stops immediately. He says, peace be still, the, uh, so the wind drops. 
But not just the wind, the waves. Stop. Now, most of us don't live next to the sea. But if you've ever been near the sea and there's been a storm, it takes hours for the waves to stop. So the storm can die down, the wind can die down, but for hours you'll still have these massive waves beating against the beach or the rocks. And the waves are still. It's a mega calm. Notice what isn't in verse 39. Jesus doesn't have spells or incantations. There's no frenzy here. There's not even a prayer. <laughs> There's no prayer. It's, if, you, if you read any of the old miracle healing legends, the healers always call on some higher power. In the name of X, Y, Z, I command... But Jesus, who's just been sleeping, he's just been woken up, speaks to creation as if it belongs to him. And it listens to him. It's almost the same as Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. And instantly there's light. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm an employer. I speak and nothing happens. <laughs> God speaks. He says, let there be light and there's light. Jesus speaks and says, quiet, be still. And it's quiet and it's still. When Jesus in chapter 2 was arguing with the Pharisees about the Sabbath, he says, I'm not just someone who tells you to take a rest. I am rest. In Mark chapter 4, he's not just saying, I'm not just someone who tells you that I have power. I am power. Verse 40, Jesus, having spoken to creation, now speaks to the creatures made in the image of God. His disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, we need to be careful here. He's not saying that faith is something you generate in your stomach. That you've got to work up. And if you sing enough, and if you pray enough, and if you fast enough, and if you give enough, then you will have faith. It's not, it's not, he's not asking them to search for the hero of faith within themselves. Where is your faith? No, the faith he's talking about is not the amount of faith. The faith is the object of faith. Don't you realize who is in this boat with you? Why are you afraid? Don't you realize who's in the boat with you? Can't you see he has power over creation? Just two comments. One is that we see uh, something of the dual nature of Christ, don't we? He's both human and divine. He's sleeping on the cushion. He's a human being. He was tired. He was exhausted. If you read the Gospels, you will read he was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was lonely. He was angry. He was tearful. He was weeping. Jesus was human like us. If Jesus had to walk through the door there, 
he wouldn't have a halo round his head and he wouldn't be walking a meter above the ground. In fact, we wouldn't know because he'd look like one of us. And at the same time, he's God in the flesh. So that is Christian teaching. In this one man, you have two natures, 100% God and 100% man. It's not as if his body was human, but his spirit and soul was divine. It's not as if the top half of his body was divine and the bottom half human. No, Jesus in totality was God in the flesh. The second comment is, do you think it's possible that Jesus could be anything other than the Son of God? He has power over a thunderstorm. Next time you think you are God. (laughs) Next time you think you are God, and we all have a messianic complex from time to time. Some of us for longer periods than others, but I won't mention any names. Um, Next time you think you are God, when there's a shouting thunderstorm, go outside. Okay? There's a thunder, there's thunder, there's wind, there's the, 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 it's just pouring. Go outside, raise up your hands and say, peace be still. Just try it. <laughs> just two clues, just two clues. Number one, take an umbrella with you. And number two, see that no one's watching. Do you think it's possible that Jesus could be anything other than the Son of God? Third point, last point. Notice the terror, not the fear, the terror of the disciples, verse 41. He says, Peace be still, the wind ceased, there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with mega fear. Again, mega. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the climax of the story is not the calming of the storm. The climax of the story is the terror of the disciples. And it's a mega terror. So you've had a sequence, a mega storm, a mega calm, a mega fear. The irony is that in verse 39, there's a mega calm, and right in the middle of the mega calm, there's mega fear. Why are they so fearful? Who then is this? It's a rhetorical question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They suspect who he is. They were Jewish disciples who knew their hymn book. Their hymn book was the Psalms. Psalm 89 verse 9 says, You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. Psalm 65 verse 7 says, Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves? They are terrified out of their mind. It's a bit like touching an electric wire. Do you remember the first time as a child you touched an electric wire? You couldn't believe it, this, this buzz, this terrifying buzz. They are touching, they are holding this electric wire both sides. Who is this with us in this boat? This is God. Only God, the creator, can have authority over his creation. Is this man who has just been sleeping here God in the flesh? 
The mega storm is nothing compared to this mega truth. Let me close, make two comments. Number one, there's a nagging question when we read this passage as to why was there this delay? Why was he sleeping? Why didn't he act sooner? We have those questions. Let me say to you that Jesus does not answer all our prayers as we request. He is loving, he's all loving, he's all wise, he's all knowing, but he doesn't take away the storms as we request. So the point of the story is not that Jesus will calm all the storms in your life. No, all the disciples, apart from Judas, were martyrs for their faith. They were killed. So, so James, the brother of John, was uh, killed by a sword by Herod, Acts chapter 12. John the Baptist, Acts chap- uh, Mark chapter 6. His head is separated from his body. If you go to Rome, there's a place where they will show you is supposed to be the place where Paul was executed. Now, the point of the story is that despite the storms, we know who is with us, the creator of the universe. And he is all-loving and all-wise, and he is trustworthy. So remember this, God doesn't answer all our questions. He doesn't need to. He is God. God doesn't always take us out of the storm because he is all-knowing and all-wise and he is trustworthy. So we trust him even in the midst of the storm because he is trustworthy. Last point. Jesus did not come to just save a few disciples from a storm on Lake Galilee. He came to take the storm of God's wrath for all of us. And he did that on the cross. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus took the greatest storm that they ever has been and will be and he quenched the wrath of God and the judgment of God in our place. So we may have to endure temporary storms in this world. We are not exempted from the storms of life. But Christ has quenched the eternal storm, the ultimate storm. And that's why he came. If Christ, who is the ruler of creation, can take the eternal storm for us, can't we trust him with these temporary storms? You are not alone. He's with you. Does Jesus care? Well, don't look at the storm and doubt. Look at the cross and believe. Let's pray. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. You tell God where you are.
Father, will you forgive us when we've despaired? Lord, we know that despair is a sin and we've all committed that sin. Forgive us when we've forgotten who is right with us in the storm. He is all wise, all loving, and he will never leave us or forsake us. He's trustworthy. Forgive us when we've forgotten that. Forgive us, Lord, when we've tried what we know are wrong answers or solutions and try to solve the problems ourselves in the wrong way. Father, will you help us to remember that the one who has calmed the greatest, greatest storm there ever has been, which is the wrath of God, will never leave us or forsake us in these temporary earthly storms. Help us to trust him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us. Thank you that it washes over us. Thank you that it heals us. Thank you that it refreshes us. Thank you that it gives us power to once again serve God for another week. Deal with us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen.